This week, we're going to look at what Jude is wishing for those who are called, cleansed, and kept. We're going to be looking at mercy, peace, and love because those are ours in Christ Jesus. And if you will recall, Jude is writing to people who are uh, experiencing bad teaching. He says that these teachers have crept in and members of the church have crept in unawares and they are now trying to uh, 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 make licentiousness popular, uh, trying to say different things that just take away from Jesus and the fact that you don't even need Jesus at all. And we are now living in an age that's uh, uh, experienced this like never before. And so that's why I wanted to go through this with you. Uh, the Lord uh, told us that whenever all these things were happening around us, like we see now, that that was going to be a sign that he was going to be returning soon. And it said that in those last days, that there would be people that would heap teachers to themselves to tickle their ears. They want to hear what they wanted to hear instead of what the Bible has to say. Uh, that uh, they would be turning away their love for God and love for uh, humanity would grow cold. That all these things would be happening. And as these things happen and the wars and rumors of wars and all these other things uh, take place, he tells us to look up because our redemption draws nigh. And, to, uh, uh, and, and Jude is telling us how we should live in the last days. But first of all, we've got to understand who we are. And so this is why we're starting off slow. There are three more parts to this. We probably won't finish them till after Christmas because I'm going to take time out during the uh, Advent and Christmas season to go through Jesus' family tree. And we're going to be looking at all the different sorts of people that are in, uh, were in his family tree. And he had people in his family tree just like you do in yours. You know, people that uh, you might be embarrassed if people even ask you about them, but uh, they're there. And so uh, uh, we're going to be going through that during the Advent and Christmas season. But about mercy and peace and love. C.H. Spurgeon said this about his prayer for his audience there at the beginning of his epistle. The benediction of the apostle is this, that this mercy, peace, and love may be multiplied to you. Is not that a beautiful word? Multiplied, not merely increased, but multiplied. Now, you know what it is to increase. You add one to two, and that is three. But when you multiply, you say three times three is nine. Multiplying is a quick way of growing. And C.H. Spurgeon goes on and he says, oh, that you had all these blessings multiplied. That if you had mercy, you might have 10 times as much mercy. That if you have had peace, you might have deeper, fuller, richer, more abiding peace. Multiplied peace, peace upon peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. And that if you have had love, 
your love might be multiplied, squared, cubed. May the biggest figures that can be found multiply your love. For never did any man yet have too much love to God or too much of the right kind of love for his fellow men. May the Lord make us grow in grace to be filled with grace, to have these three graces multiplied in us. And so this morning, I want to look first of all at the meaning of these three words, mercy, peace, and love, and then the strong relationship between them. First of all, love. And love is an attribute of God. The apostle John says, God is love. Uh, he is merciful and has provided grace. The love of God, as you well know, encompasses, encompasses all of humankind. Say it along with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not his will that any should perish. And today, he loves every human being on the face of this earth. He has no favorites. And as we look way back into the book of Exodus, God made it clear uh, that even a man like Moses, uh, he didn't answer Moses' prayer because he was Moses. He answered, he said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God answered Moses' prayer because he found the explanation in himself. He treats all of his creatures alike in that sense. Friends, God loves you today. This is so important for you to know. If you knew how much he loved you, it would break your heart and you'd be in tears. He loves you so much. Now, you can keep from experiencing God's love, but you can't keep him from loving you. And that's such a good thing. Uh, you can't keep the sun from shining but you can put up an umbrella and keep the sun from shining on you, experiencing the sunshine. So uh, there are umbrellas that can keep us from experiencing the love of God. The umbrella of resistance to his will is a big one. The umbrella of sin in your life, the umbrella of bitterness and unforgiveness, the umbrella of deceitfulness and honesty. All of these things can keep you from God's love. Not that he doesn't love you, but we're choosing to hold up that umbrella and not let go of it. Although God loved you, this is so important, he didn't save you by love. You see, God has other attributes besides being love. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He simply can't let down the bars of heaven by lowering his standards to bring you in. He can't do that any more than a human judge can hold uh, uphold the laws of the land 
and yet accept a bribe under the table uh, for letting a criminal off. If he does that, then he's a crooked judge, isn't he? I don't mean to be irreverent because God's not a crooked judge. God will always maintain his holiness, his righteousness, and his justice. This past, well, yesterday, we got to visit with our great-granddaughter, Amelia. We call her Millie. She's two, and she is the epitome sometimes of the terrible twos. <laughs> One of the words that she's learned very well is the word no. And uh, she was uh, being forced to do something that she didn't want to do. I think she wanted to stay upstairs and uh, bug the dog. And uh, her grandmother wanted to come downstairs and visit with us. And so she was just throwing a little uh, gentle tantrum. Saying, no, no, no. Ah, you know, just uh, while her grandmother was holding her. And I looked over there and then there were these puzzles on the table. And I got an idea because Billy loves puzzles. And I just took the puzzle, and these puzzles were shapes. They're good-sized pieces. So anyway, I just uh, sat there on the table while Miller was going, no, no. And uh, I just took them all out. And the first one I did was, uh, it was a farmer and farm animals, and they all fit in their spot. So I, I picked up a horse and said, okay, so this is a duck. And the duck goes quack, quack. And the duck goes and she stopped her uh, yelling and yelling no. And she looked at me like, that ain't right, Billy, buddy. That ain't right. And she crawled down from her mom's, her grandmother's lap. And she came over and she said, no, this is a horse. And she put, showed me where the horse went. And so then I said, okay. And then and I picked up the farmer and said, so this is a chicken. And chicken says, look, no, that's farmer. Farmer goes here, you know. So we went through all the different pieces. She knew where they went. She wanted order. She wanted things to be in the right spot. The fact that she felt that I needed some help badly was beside the point. But the whole thing I'm trying to lay out to you is two-year-olds this is one of the ways that they reflect the image of God. They do like order. You may not realize it. They like things. They like routine. They like for things to be the way they're supposed to be. And so what I was doing was I was ups upsetting the order of the, her entire world. And she had to help straighten it out. And so this is one of the image but parts of the image of God within people because really we all have this sense of orderliness of fairness all these different attributes of God we have them within us and so it was it manifested itself in Millie that day and I was able to use that to get her out of her hissy fit and start to play in, which was a good thing. That's the good thing about having been a counselor and learned how to manipulate people. <laughs> but uh, we took that from there. And uh, we, uh, but anyway, the whole point is God knows how things should be. He knows the order that he wants.
and his order is in place in heaven. And he can't let you mess it up if you're not going to cooperate with him. He is a holy God. And really, we love holiness, but we just don't know how to even understand it. But uh, so anyway, he can't let you in based on a few good works. There's more to it than that. That's what we're talking about today. We already said God so loved the world and he loved the world with a merciful love, a love that had a concern and a care for every human being. And because he loved, he gave his only begotten son. He provided his son as a substitute. Now God, on a righteous basis, can save a sinner. Listen to this, though. If he will come to him and accept the salvation that he offers. And this is called the grace of God. You know, you can make an acronym out of that. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a gift Gifts have to be received. And you can't receive God's gift without repenting. He's not going to let you come unrepentant and hand you that gift. Uh, now that you can see the grace of God, not the love of God, has to do with the sins of men. And God's provided a Savior who's paid the penalty for our sins. And on that basis, God saves sinners. That is the grace of God. Now, it's important for you to know this distinction between the words love, mercy, and grace. Because if you don't, you can completely miss entering the kingdom of God, maybe thinking that you've already come in, and you can miss the eternal life that God has in store for you. Words really do matter. And yet people are wanting to jumble up love, mercy, and grace. And if you start getting them out of order and just lump them all up and say God is altruistic and loving, you wind up with uh, the, uh, the greatest lie of today, and uh, which is... Uh, God is loving and God is merciful and uh, he's not going to let anybody go to hell. You know, if you jumble them all up and you miss the order and you miss the truth. Uh, this is one of the most popular lies that people tell each other and it keeps coming, it keeps people on the path to perdition. Now, you see, words are important. Uh, Heard this a long, long time ago, and uh, this is not a true story. I want you to know what I'm getting ready to tell you is not true. And so don't go around looking for a policeman to get on to about pro police brutality. It's just a story to make an example. 
but it's a good one, okay? The, uh, uh, there was a man, he pulled up, and he didn't come to a stop at a stop sign. He just, uh, he slowed down a bit and just drove on through. Policeman saw him and pulled him over and uh, explained to him that he'd run the stop sign. And uh, the guy said, well, I slowed down. Slowing down? Stopping? What's the difference? He said, well, sir, I'll show you. Step out of the car. He stepped out of the car. Put your hands on the car. He put his hands on the car. The policeman took out his nightstick and he began to whack this guy on the back. He said, now, sir, you tell me, do you want me to slow down or to stop? <laughs> you see, there's a difference in words and people have muddled love, mercy and grace to where it's like, do you slow down or stop? You know, uh, what's the difference between slowing down and stopping? There's a big difference. And so this is what we need to get. Words do matter. Big difference between love, mercy, grace. God is love. God is merciful. And, uh, but he, this is the, the part of the good news is the fact that uh, you don't have to go to hell. And God doesn't send anyone to hell. In fact, what happens is people choose to send themselves to hell. You have a choice. You have a choice. Now, a choice requires a decision and then it requires action. And when you confuse love, mercy and grace, you can lose sight of the necessity of choice and action. You see, sin has brought tragedy to the human family. We often hear the question, why does God, if he's a God of love, permit cancer or COVID-19? Well, this is the explanation. And uh, uh, well, I'll just say that it was confirmed to me many, many years ago by the Lord himself, whenever I had this question, why did this, why did all these bad things happen in the world? This is just it. Disease and death came into the human family as the consequences of sin. God sees the mercy, the, the misery that sin has caused and the mercy of God goes out to humankind. And uh, in fact, uh, in Romans 5, Paul explains this so well. I'm just going to zero in on the middle verse that really is the distillation of the entirety of the entire Bible. But I encourage you to read it. Read Romans 5, 12 through 29. But in Romans 5, 19, it says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. That's the heart of the gospel. And I remember I used to say, I just don't see why I have to be held accountable or something that guy did way back there in the garden so many years ago. And then it hit me when I stand before the Lord, I'm not going to be accountable for what Adam did. 
I'm going to be held accountable for everything that Joel McMahon did. That's what I'm going to be accountable for. And uh, in the Garden of Eve, Garden of Eden, something took place that has shaken the world ever since. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden. They were told they could eat of anything, any of the trees of the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan came along and he says, uh, if you eat from that tree, you're not going to surely die. God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because if you eat from that tree, then you're going to know good from evil like God. And uh, you can be like God. You can take God's place. You don't have to be beholden to God. And so Eve took a bite and then she took it to Adam or maybe she just handed it to him. Very well could be Adam was standing right there listening to this conversation. Now at that point in time, that was the entire human population. You need to understand this. This wasn't just one person messing up. You have the entirety of humanity standing there. Uh, Adam was put in charge. He was the leader. Eve represents the rest of the population of the world. Adam had responsibility. He was the one that had been given dominion. And as he stood there and he took a bite, all of the world changed because it wasn't a perfect world anymore. And humanity as a whole, leaders and general population all chose to go against God's will at the same time. The population did it first and then the leader followed. That's a lot like what happens today, isn't it? It's the population that elects the leaders, isn't it? You know, and so uh, we are all in it together. But uh, so anyway, but here's where the distinction in words comes. Uh, and it's the importance of, the, of these differences. The Bible makes it clear that God is rich in mercy. If you come to him as a sinner and accept his salvation, accept the free gift that he offers, he will save you by his grace and then because he's rich in mercy, he will extend to you his mercy. Grace comes first. So uh, he'll bring comfort to you at that time. He'll help you and comfort your heart. And you can trust him in your time of need. When you ask for healing, what you're asking for is God's mercy. Because it came from the fall. Uh, notice that many times when people called out to Jesus for healing, they asked, first of all, for mercy. Son of God, have mercy on us. The paralyzed man first told Jesus, or the paralyzed man was first told by Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Then, after he healed him, and he said, now take up your bed and walk. He's already saved you by his grace, but now you need his mercy. And mercy is that love of his, which goes 
out to us in our misery here on earth. A sinner needs the grace of God. A sinner needs a whole lot of mercy. God has to pardon before he can heal. People must be justified before they can be sanctified. In the order of the manifestation of God's purposes of salvation, the grace of God must go before the mercy of God. Grace comes first. And you can't experience grace until you repent. That's why Jesus' uh, message began, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It all begins with repentance. And people are wanting to muddle it all up, say, Oh, God doesn't care. He cared so much that he gave his only begotten son. God cares, but he's made a way because he cares. The grace must go before and take away to make a way for the mercy of God. Grace doesn't come until you repent of your sin and accept the free gift that's offered through the cross of Jesus Christ. When you do that, when you repent and you start going toward him and his grace, he comes to you. And what comes out of that is peace, a peace that passes all understanding. The peace of God is that experience which comes to the heart that is trusting in Christ. Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah, way back a thousand years before Jesus ever came on the scene, was foretelling what Jesus was going to do. And he said, you by his stripes, we are healed. And the chastening, the chastisement, the punishment for our peace, for our shalom, fell upon him. The chastening for our peace fell upon him. The punishment that we should experience, we don't experience because Jesus took it upon himself. A thousand years before it happened, Isaiah said, this is what's going to happen. And this is what did happen. And so it's confirmed the chastening for our peace fell on him. What that means, there may be some of you today who have been living with guilt and shame. This is just it. Jesus died for whatever you're feeling guilty and shameful about. That's the big truth out of all of this. While we were yet ungodly, Jesus died on the cross for us. And he paid for it so that, and this is the it, anything you feel that God is holding against you, Jesus has already taken care of it. It's gone. It's taken care of. You have a present and a future 
because of what Jesus did on the cross. A present and a future where you're at peace with God because the punishment has already been meted out. And so now you can draw near to him and you can receive grace upon grace. And faith is believing that God really loves you and that he loved you enough to do all the things that we've been talking about today. If we grow in God's mercy, peace, and love, we will be able to withstand everything that life's going to throw at us, no matter what it is. And in these last days, we need to get this straight about where his peace comes from. And it's been made clear, first of all, there is a real you, and it's the real you that God really loves. And uh, it's the real you that's supposed to come before him. Not who you wish you were, not who you hope to be, but the real you as you are now. And if there are things that you need to repent of, you tell him, I'm sorry. And you receive the forgiveness that he placed, that he put on the cross. And uh, you receive that he's offered peace to you. And when you receive it, the mercy and the love and the peace will abound. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.